Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I am Justin, and I am joined by... Beth, I think it's been a minute since we recorded. Sam, but I'm pretty sure about that. And I'm no longer hungover. Hi, Caleb. Also, my my name's Caleb, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's names, not attributes. Sorry, I got it mixed up. It's been so long. <laughs> and he was hungover for most of the and day. I was, so. I was hungover until about 10 seconds ago when I said that I wasn't. Man, wouldn't that be nice? He says, the person who doesn't drink. I was going to say, you don't drink. You've never had a hangover, you bitch. <laughs> Uncalled for. <laughs> Maybe so. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been a little bit since we've uh, had a chance to record. The episodes have been going along as usual, but last week we had, we had our little holiday diversion. Lost Metal's really good, by the way. Uh, but yeah, now we return to the far past of the uh, Mistborn Era 1 trilogy where we are in the middle of part two of Well of Ascension. Right back into the thick of things. Mm-hmm. How is uh, is everyone doing? Good. For the record, it feels like the present to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talking about all this future junk? I can't wait to listen to that episode uh, in two years. It is going to be something like that, yeah. <laughs> After I finished reading that book and we finished talking about it on the podcast. It may be we'll two years for me as well. I placed my hold at the Chicago Public Library and I'm like 38th in line or something. Oh boy. Oh god. I think they have 17 copies or something like that, so hopefully I'll churn through it pretty quick. But... Alright, well, all y'all read faster. Get those books back. <laughs> Yeah, please. I'm begging you. That reminds me of the time I checked out Fall by Neil Stevenson when I worked at the library, and I it was uh, four weeks overdue, uh, but since I worked there, I didn't get any late, late fees, uh, and I checked it back in, and the hold list was had ballooned to like 25 for the one copy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, good job, buddy. Sam. That was a good book, though. You didn't... <laughs> it was a great book. It was worth it. You didn't have to pay any fees, but you had to carry the guilt of that. <laughs> no, you had to carry you that weight. weight. Um, I could be crazy. I feel like that's not the first Sam works at a library and talks about a Neil Stevenson book on this podcast. I could be wrong, but this feels <laughs> vaguely familiar. But I don't think it was the same story. I know both things have been mentioned independently. Okay. We've talked about sluices. Mm-hmm. Of course. And we, and we just we just recently talked about sluices again, but tragically it was not recorded. It was it was absolutely incredible and very relevant to the uh, the bu- the book the book we have a book the, we do hey, let's talk about that book. <laughs> Justin yeah. asked how we were doing, and we immediately started talking about a different book and then sluices. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, <laughs> let's just go into chapter 20 because that's where we started reading chapters 20 through 23 today and maybe that'll get us to where we want to go how does that sound please minute four and we're getting to the book that the podcast is mm-hmm. about all right uh we'll get started like we usually do for each chapter with uh, an epigraph with the words that Quan has been methodically etching into this metal slab uh, where he talks about the the process of his kind of realization 
that Alendi was perhaps the the prophesied hero, uh, and mentions that uh, he Quan was not the most dedicated to the the terrorist prophecies, but eventually did come to see what he thought were the signs. In reading this, I just thought, like, wow, I can't wait for Seiza to read his his rubbings. He's gonna love this. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, we do get a little detail of him being like some are religious i'm more interested in other stuff but i also feel like we already got most of this information and i'm i'm really reaching the point where when it got to the end of final empire i was like it would be interesting to go back and read all the epigraphs at once and just see the whole journal the whole journal compiled all together and i feel like it would be really tedious to read all of kwan's carvings (laughs) all at once the man uh the man does like to expound. Yep, and and I feel like we can't stress enough that he's expounding on a slab of metal that he has to pound mm-hmm. the words into. That he presumably has limited room on. He like he's you start with a limited resource there. Yeah, you gotta you gotta plan ahead. You can't wrap your words. You have to see how many lines you have, and if you run out, oh well. Yeah, I have to imagine that, like, in in chapter one, when he's like, I have to carve these words into metal because it's the only thing I can He's, like, writing in big text, like, this is going to be really, really important. And it's around this point that he looks how much wall he has left, and he's like, oh, shit. And he has to, like, start doing really tiny fonts from here on out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a happy birthday sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm running out. Oh, God. <laughs> happy birthday. But getting back to the uh, the plan at the present... We rejoin uh, Ellen and his, I guess, advisors. I don't think they have a technical title, but that's what they're they're doing. Of trying to discuss how this is going to go, uh, because as we saw last episode, uh, there's going to be a, a plan where Ellen is going to try to play both of the armies against each other, uh, and it's going to be a pretty uh, precarious position. Just now reading this, <clears throat> rereading the, the very first sentence of our section here, um, and thinking back to Tinwill's words about like how they call you L, Doxin starts off, this is going to be dangerous, your majesty. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I don't think Doxin like, talked like that before. Actually, um, I think Doxin might be pretty much the only person who does. And at the beginning, it's implied that it's because they're not really friends and they don't get along. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I do, I, I, the, the whole question of do you call him L or do you call him Majesty is uh, a prevalent question throughout this section. And the fact that Doxin's already at that level, um, ironically, perhaps communicates something completely different from why Tindwell thinks everyone else should be calling him Your Majesty. Um, right. I'm trying to look back to when we first meet Doxin and Ellen's like, I hate this guy for no reason. Yeah, the two of them do not get along. <laughs> Anyways, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep I looking d- for oh, that. Oh no, but... no, no, no! I got it. Page sixty-four. Nice. Anyway, I have some things to do before your speech tomorrow, Your Majesty. Did Ham say? <laughs> I just like the immediate back-to-back of Your Majesty, and then like my bro Ham. Yeah, Ham. <laughs> Not even, not even a full name. Nope. Yeah, no, that is a that is a good catch. Because Tindwell is here and is uh, trying to kind of make sure that Ellen has been following through on on the lessons so far, 
Uh, and Vin notices a, a bit of a contrast where Tyndall is doing the kind of like classic, like upper class lady, you know, is sitting perfectly poised and balanced. And, and Vin is, is using chairs wrong like she, I think, always does. Uh, and so there's a, there's a contrast there that Vin immediately picks up on. Sometimes you've got to perch. I love yeah. perching on a chair wrong. I had a uh, a coworker who would lower his his uh, office chair all the way down uh, so that it would fit like under the desk with him sitting in it, and then he would lean all the way back and like lock it in, and then roll right up to his desk. So he was like almost entirely under the desk and just kind of like reclining back and looking up at his screen. It was very strange. It's like the the cat gif pounding on the table pretty much yeah like he just had his arms up on the desk <laughs> great we're now 10 minutes in and we've read a page and i'm gonna tangent us again <laughs> go there was a a show that i called as i am a stage manager and i stand when it's a stressful section to get through but the booth i was in if i stood up my head was like in the catwalk so i couldn't actually see the stage so i then proceeded to just bend over <laughs> so i called half of the show just like folded in twain leaning over a desk and my back did hurt <laughs> i well done. yeah i bet it would <laughs> listen musicals are hard i i can imagine all right, so this this discussion is continuing. the The point here uh, is that, uh, and this was mentioned before when they were coming up with this plan, is that there's a lot of weight here on Elland in this plan. Uh, in particular, the discussion point here is that uh, there's an invitation we saw previously delivered by Zane. There's an invitation for Elland and Straff to. Uh, meet and I guess parlay in Straff's camp uh, which is putting Ellen in quite a bit of danger there yeah that's been uh, it feels like an outstanding invitation for a very long time I don't <laughs> it, it's the fact that like Tinville's training uh, Ellen and also like he's starting to get good at sparring and starting to get comfortable with himself it feels like it's been a long time they say less than a month I feel like Straff wouldn't be patient for that long. Yeah. I mean, we did fairly recently see, like, the actual invite come, but I don't know, like, how the timeline lines up exactly there. I guess when you do have the city and the walls, you can afford to wait a little bit, but it is now a siege, so you can't wait forever. And one thing that, um, that Breeze points out uh, with this responsibility falling on Ellen is that he says that he can uh, he can do it. He has the um, the political knowledge to to go and and talk with his father. Uh, but Breeze points out that this isn't politics. This is a scam. And of the group, Ellen is definitely the least experienced at the deception part of it. He's got that obvious tell with his fists at his waist, just clenching those fists like Arthur. Uh, it's exactly. pretty obvious <laughs> seeing someone do that. Did you know Arthur is the second longest running animated show? Was. That's I the first. I believe it did conclude about a year ago. Oh. Yes. 
but it it has the it it is still second behind only the Simpsons for show that ran the animated show that ran the longest. Do you know DW becomes a cop? I believe I did know that actually. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, back to the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does amuse me where it it goes next because Ellen's plan to uh, ensure his own safety during this uh, this event uh, is that he's going to introduce his dad to his girlfriend because this is definitely the most normal time that this situation has happened yeah there's a lot here uh with with good old ellen uh talking about meeting with his dad um the one thing that i thought was exceptionally interesting was when he says uh his that straff probably doesn't want him dead even though straff said he did to his face to his in the face. last book times. yeah <laughs> to his face family dynamics i mean maybe that's just something that ellen has gotten so used to hearing that he's like yeah yeah dad's just <laughs> like that yeah in his defense he's not dead yet <laughs> and then interweaving through all this uh vin has some some complicated thoughts on what her position is in this uh, because she is kind of being positioned by Ellen in a, a fairly uh, distinct role, at least for, for right now, of, I guess, like Ellen's bodyguard almost. Uh, and so there's there's a, a whole thing that she's trying to figure out of being a Mistborn, trying to protect Ellen. Is there going to be a point where that's no longer needed? Should I be doing something else? Uh, yeah, girl has some some things that she needs to think about <laughs> there's yeah there's a lot of her thought process here that's interesting because the scene starts with her being like i being kind of bitter that tindwell is there and seems to be having like garnered a lot of respect um and on the next page ellen like kind of sets his foot down and vin's like oh that's not gonna work and then it immediately works and she kind of has to admit that Tindwill is doing something helpful here. Mm -hmm. um, and then on a, just a completely different note, the next page over, she goes, a lesser man would never have fallen in love with me. Uh, Vin should watch more anime because in the words of Spike Spiegel, I love the kind of woman who can kick my ass. Um, I feel like she, Ellen, I still believe Ellen is firmly the one who is batting out of his own league and not the other way around. Um, and it makes me sad that she doesn't believe in herself that way. Yeah, it is, It is, I guess, understandable that she is dealing with this. But uh, yeah, it would, be, it would be nice if she could see what, uh, what the others, especially Ellen, see that she has. Yeah, uh, far less understandable is that she then proceeds to start thinking about Zane. Mm. It's not perfect system. I think it's weird that the idea that Straff wouldn't know Vin already um, because she was Lady Villette and like Lady Villette, you know, minor, like the whole point of Lady Villette was, you know, to go under the radar. You're not, right. you know, you're just infiltrating, but you're not really, but she made waves in high society by dating his son. Yeah. Like, it's not just he, she made waves. She made waves by doing that. <laughs> yeah. 
he knows who Vin is, right? Like, they didn't need, but even just by... By reputation, I'm sure. But I don't think the two of them... Yeah, points out that Straff underestimates him, and he bets that sentiment extends to Vin as well. He'll assume she isn't as good as everyone says. Right, yeah. There's the distinct thing... There's the distinct thing of Straff is like, well, I know that Ellen can't bat right. out of his league, so clearly Ben's not that great. <laughs> he couldn't have pulled her. Exactly. Right. So I assume that's more just a thing of literally meeting in person for the first time. Is mm-hmm. what that, that kind of yeah. All right. train of thought is. But the first sentence out of his mouth is going to be, so you're not Villette. No, got... I'm Vin. No. Wait a minute. I'm just imagining him like holding up a picture of Valet in front of his <laughs> face and then like slowly lowering it and raising it and lowering it with just <laughs> narrowed eyes. So we're starting our meeting with deception. All right. <laughs> I'm sure it'll go swimmingly from here. That's the last lie I'll tell you, Father. I promise. And then he turns and winks at Vin. While saying wink. Yeah, no, we established that people don't actually wink. They just say wink. Of course, yes. And on a slightly more serious note, uh, Vin has something else occupying her mind, uh, which is the continued question of the the Chandra spy. Given the, the number of the crew who are here, she's definitely trying to to see if there's anything suspicious she knows that it's not going to be as easy as just seeing somebody do something blatantly obvious but she's still trying to figure out if she can spot uh which of her friends has been replaced this yeah this whole scene the way she does do some detective work in this scene Mm -hmm. and i i it's it's a weird process to me because she she's burning bronze and she's like maybe I'll be able to tell if anyone's if anyone's things and then she realizes oh there's an alimantic pulse from Breeze so she realizes okay Breeze is burning something and then like three paragraphs later she's like she focused and realized he was burning brass which to my knowledge is the only metal Breeze can burn so that should not be a discovery and then she's like all right that means he's not the imposter which it's nice to get 100% confirmation, but we kind of already knew that too. So that that whole interaction is just like, what, how useful is the yeah. specifics of what's happening here actually? It was kind of a one step back, one step forward thing. Yeah. I think her interpretation of, the, um, of what she was detecting with bronze uh, was more of just trying to confirm her own ability using bronze because she was still trying to get a a hang of figuring out what metals were based on their pulses yeah that's kind of how i interpreted it too it just the the way the information was presented made it seem like oh he's burning brass yeah of course it's breeze yes that's what he does um but yeah i I, yeah it's it's gonna be a big problem if it's not um but uh yeah I, i i understand that's probably what was going for but the way the scene was written it just felt a little bit weird how that how it was being presented i do like i i another interpretation i'm drawing just now is that this sort of down the rabbit hole of what exactly breeze is doing also comes right after she admits to herself that she has not been trying to find the traitor 
with enough like enthusiasm because as as Sam's notes have pointed out, Vin doesn't want to test crew for traitor because makes her big sad. Frowny face. <laughs> Frowny face. So it is kind of interesting to me that she she comes to that realization is like okay time to time to actually do the work and then it's like oh well breeze is doing something interesting so i'm just gonna like really focus in on that to the point of using duralumin to to figure out what exactly he's doing that oh that's actually a really interesting reading that's actually really neat i don't know if it's true but i know but it makes the scene better about being sad but yeah (laughs) it makes the scene better if that's what it is because the fact that because the fact that she she defaults to oh well let me double check breeze when she already is mm-hmm. almost positive it's not him is like yeah that feeds directly into the thing of like still not really making progress on the problem because she's kind of scared of what the answer is going to be oh i'll just kind of double check the work i've already done I, that that actually makes yeah. sense to me i think that's actually kind of cool Although in the outside aspect here, what Breeze is doing to like make Ellen more confident, he's gonna sugar crash. Yeah, like he's gonna he's gonna be in the meeting and be like, "I felt way more confident about this back in Keep Venture." <laughs> That's true. Um, although I will throw out a little bit a little theory here. Maybe this is actually the point of Brandon putting this scene in. Um, I wonder if Vin will learn the lesson, and presuming Vin will be there will just do the same thing Breeze is currently doing here to Ellen and kind of give him the boost that he's been getting from Breeze. Um, oh. That'd be could that'd be. be a good way to make this scene also have meaning. It makes me more fond of Breeze than I already was. That's the main That's meaning I derive from it is, oh, you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything against the scene in general. It's just the presentation of information. Um, yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah i agree it makes me like breeze more and and mm-hmm. i do love finn's kind of inner thoughts of like eh, you pretend like you're an asshole but actually you're a pretty good guy too yeah so that meeting is is going to conclude the, the crew all goes their separate ways uh and starting up strong on our next section so as the the group splits up and goes their separate ways uh, Elland remains behind to continue the, the planning and Tindall stays there to advise him uh, and starts right off by declaring that Elland is an embarrassment, uh, which <laughs> Caleb has has decided that Tindall continues to be the absolute best. I have. It's not just because of that one line. I, I promise. I actually have a lot of thoughts about this, but we can kind of get further into the scene before I go in depth about it. But uh, man, I love this scene. Maybe this is why Breeze needed to boost him up so much because Tindle was about to absolutely dunk on him and he needed a buffer. Through no magical powers whatsoever, uh, Tindle is just the absolute counter to Breeze. <laughs> I don't know. I felt that. I felt the the you're an embarrassment because I've had that exact experience in school. Let's oh, make it middle school just to make it all tie together really good. It's, middle school gotta be middle school but, you know you do a presentation and you think you kicked ass and then you get the grade back and you got like a c because you something i don't know mm-hmm. prof didn't like it and it hurts and and like we get the sense that this is still kind of in some sense like a a a tough love type of thing where tindall really thinks that she needs to like be harsh on him 
intentionally so, but yeah, it it is like it's abrasive. Well, and then to Ellen's credit, his first reaction is looking at the C grade he got on his paper and going, "Yeah, that prof would think that this was not worth it." Um, he just <laughs> kind of like he kind of takes it in stride, and I feel like that on its own is already a sign that Ellen is growing more confident in that he is able to stand up to Tindwill on his own, which again we'll see more of throughout the scene. Um, I think there there. Their interactions in this scene are way different from they were the first few times Tinwell talked with Ellen's, and I think that says a lot about Ellen's development and the role Tinwell plays in that. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what she starts talking about is how, even though in Ellen's mind this was a this was a a discussion that went fairly well, uh, in Tindwell's view, Ellen still isn't taking the the kind of absolute firm decision making that being a king requires uh, and that he shouldn't see it as a a victory that he persuaded his friends to do things his way it should be simpler than that in that he is the king and has the authority and that's the end of it so then we have like we mentioned earlier the the discussion on on ellen's name and how his friends refer to him and Tindwell insists that it should be only your majesty. And and he says, well, hang on, you call me Elland, and, and so you should call me your majesty. And she says, very well, your majesty, which is entirely what she wanted to happen. Very well, your majesty. You cannot clench your fists now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. And there's even the reverse psychology of the first time he calls her out, she's like, well, I'm an exception. And then he goes, no, you're not. And she goes, all right, then I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Tindwell a lot. She's good. She's a really good character. She she do good. She good at what she do. She great. This part reminded me of two things. Uh, the first of which being uh, the Peasant's Quest movie trailer for Homestar Runner, in which the king says to Rather Dashing, the main character of Peasant's Quest, um... I can't have you running out there upsetting the balance. And rather dashing replies with, I'll upset your balance, my lord. <laughs> Tax on the my lord. Like disrespecting him, but called him my lord. <laughs> Tindwell running into Luthadel be like, <laughs> Your majesty, you're a complete fuck up. Then <laughs> the other one is obviously Spaceballs. Uh, on the ship, you're to refer to me as idiot, not you, Captain. Ah, yes. Classic. 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 And then we have a uh, a really interesting discussion about the role of a king and the immense responsibilities thereof, where Tyndall says that everything that happens in the kingdom is the king's fault, uh, but also that there shouldn't be any guilt. Uh, and that if the king fails, then he should remove himself, potentially by suicide. So, a lot going on here. Oh man, as an ex-Catholic, who still deals with a lot of Catholic guilt all the time, this th- if someone told me that, I would simply lay down and <laughs> weep into the rug. This is a lot. I do, I gotta say, I also love this exchange, because I, I think it's... 
I, I interpret the suicide comment to fully not be serious. I, I every every part of this scene is Tindwill teaching a lesson, and then there's the lesson within the lesson. And here, the lesson within the lesson is you're king. You are the best person to be king right now. Mm-hmm. So, like, be, you know, Ellen having humility is good, but at the end of the day. I think deep down, Ellen does believe that, yeah, it's kind of it kind of has to be me. There's not really anyone else there. And Tindwell's just kind of getting him to bring that to the forefront of his mind. Um, and it's just kind of like, yeah, if you don't think you're best for the role, then yeah, just like there's no point in any of this. Um, because she knows that he does deep down think that he is. And uh, he, she's just trying to teach that lesson in a very abrasive manner, as is every other <laughs> lesson she teaches. Um, but, you know, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I like Tindwell. She's good. She's good at her job. <laughs> she, she sums it up at the end with, uh, arrogance, your majesty. Successful leaders all share one common trait that they believe they can do a better job than the alternatives. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be the other side here and say that I need Tindwell to grow on me because... <laughs> Little my much. notes are saucy. My notes are very saucy about her so far. I'm sassing back. Which I think she might appreciate. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Seems like she takes it pretty well. She does, a- after this discussion, uh, manage to throw even a- another curveball with her next question of, why haven't you married Vin? Hmm. Yeah, why haven't you, like tied her down and screamed at her until she agreed to marry you what she said no like that's what i would she say didn't know that she didn't know that and also i don't think that's her point at all no she she gets into her point very quickly yeah her point is that vin could be dangerous and a liability so it's okay if ellen wants to keep her but he has to really be serious about it. And Ellen proves that he is serious about it. And Tindwell decides, okay, then we'll make it work. I just wanted to make sure that this was actually something that was important to you. And sure seems like it was. Because to be fair, yes, her not knowing that Vin is the that a proposal happened and Vin declined, it is a little bit weird that Ellen the King has been dating someone for like a year and a half now and would probably be worth having some like stability if a marriage were to happen kingdom wise you know Tindwell's solely focused on making sure the kingdom works and functions um so yeah i think it's i think given what she's trying to accomplish here it makes perfect sense for her to be asking these questions i also just really love the uh the way that this this part concludes where uh where Tindwell starts to to imply that like this could be done much better like we we could find someone else for you and ellen is instantly this is his line in the sand of you know don't you dare talk about vin and and me like that uh and and yeah it it does that at least gets some approval from tyndall exactly it's all just kind of a test to to make sure that ellen really does feel the way it seems like he does and this isn't just some frivolous thing and the fact that it it immediately like tindwell immediately backs off and says in an uncharacteristically kind voice um that you know 
it might be dangerous, but that's fine. Like we that we'll make it work. And then Demo comes in. And then Demo comes in. He just kind of keeps showing up. And he is we're once again being told that there is uh, a messenger from one of the two armies. Uh, this is apparently Lord Set's daughter, and apparently she's looking for Breeze. So what's going on here? Hmm. This would be a great point for an episode break. Like, guess the name of <laughs> Set's daughter. Fortunately. <laughs> Sorry, I was going through that vine. That didn't land at all, I guess. Sorry, fuck me. Let's get on to the chapter now. All, all we heard was, it's... Really? Because I definitely yep, yeah. did It's Pikachu, and I guess that just didn't pick up on the audio. <laughs> no. I thought you cut off because you were waiting for Justin to say something, and then we were all waiting for you to finish, and then it was just silence after no, I, It's... I definitely said It's Pikachu, and nobody laughed, and I was like, I guess that joke just is... Everyone <laughs> thinks that's the cringiest thing in the world. I'll, I'll just shut up now. No, I no we just line. we just heard a completely different joke. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair it sounds like that joke was pretty bad and dumb yeah <laughs> it was half a joke <laughs> no i get the reference the classic youtube video it's pikachu anyway all right <clears throat> sorry i'm still recovering from 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 that okay well let's very quickly cover this one line epigraph so we can get back to what the hell's going on here uh, because this is just one line about uh, Elendi's past uh, in that he was born of a humble family and married the daughter of a king. Hopefully uh, we get more info later, Quan. That's 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 some new information. That's nice. He's gender-bent Vin. There is a parallel there, yeah. We did just get done talking about how they're not married yet, but... Well, there's time. I just hang on let me just let me just snip this because I I read chapter 21 and then later on I read chapter 22 as as you do you know you read chapters in order uh but then um so that's my note on the epigraph for chapter 21 and then this is my note for the epigraph of chapter 22 (laughs) (laughs) which Hmm. we'll get to so Alendi (laughs) is either Vin or Elend that's right. Confirmed. He hmm. has the range, darling. <laughs> he can't be Vin because it's been firmly established that he's so fucking tall. Mm. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Vin notably not tall. I'm pretty sure Vin is like I'm pretty sure Vin is like five feet even or something. I feel like he mentioned that, yeah, like something in the in that order of heights. But she can still get to high places with her nine-foot vertical leap. <laughs> like a bug. Spring. All right. So going into chapter 21, uh, this is just a hilarious scene. Th- this girl, who who is a, a young girl, uh, runs into the room, runs over to Breeze, and hugs him. And everyone just kind of stares at them. Oh, Breeze. What a card. Yeah. Yeah, this whole sequence 
continues to be even funnier if you picture Billy Porter as Breeze. Just exuding gay energy and the entire plotline is around how this young girl is in love with him and it's like, oh, he's so sweet and wonderful and I just want to be with him forever. And Billy Porter is just looking very uncomfortable at the entire scenario. <laughs> like, I have terrible news. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, there was, uh, when when Breeze was rescued from fleeing Set's army as they approached, uh, there was a, a wisecrack that was made about, uh, what, did, did Set catch you with his daughter? That uh, may have been true. But yeah, this is Aurian Set, daughter of Lord Ashweather Set, uh, who is now here in the city, and that's going to cause some complications. Sure is. But she brings with her some seriously valuable intel. It's getting. Did you know that he gets his food from the cannery that he owns? What? what? I mean, I guess it's nice to be confirmed, but I feel like they could have <laughs> figured that one out. Does she? This is really important. Does she? She doesn't. She doesn't say that he gets cans or canned food. He just said he gets supplies <laughs> from the cannery. <laughs> Hypothetical cans. We don't know if the cans are real still. We didn't see the cans. So, yeah. Orianne is now here. Um, is is calling him breezy. Is talking about how awful her father is. This is just like, where did she come from? <laughs> And where did she go? Uh, off to elsewhere in the, the palace. I can answer <laughs> that to one. Probably take a bath. But yeah, as, as she leaves, because she is going to be uh, given a place to stay, uh, she leaves. Everyone just kind of waits for a second. Breeze says that was unexpected, and then they all laugh at him because this is hilarious. <laughs> but hold on one sec. We get introduced to another new character here. The the all important Caden, the named palace steward. You know, I hate to break it to you, we never hear about this guy again. Well, that's what I was thinking here. I was thinking that that is a fan or a friend. I don't actually know. Just the name slipped in there because it was so... Like, why the hell do we care about who this person is? Why? Oh, he actually has a... He has a page on the Coppermind. <laughs> but all it says is that he's a palace steward in Alan Venture's palace. Uh, and that he was awake when Aurian Set arrived. And so <laughs> was charged with leading her to her rooms. That's all it says. I love that the introductory status is awake. Like, not was, like, <laughs> currently working. It was his shift. Like, he's he's the steward. It's just like, he was awake. And so that's why he got <laughs> paired with uh, Alrian. Yeah. And the only citation on this page is the chapter that we're currently reading. <laughs> At least they're thorough. Oh, they're very thorough. Speaking of thorough, I do have casting for Caden. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, brief tangent about the copper mind because I think it is great. Uh, there is a page uh, that is about uh, it's about a character in Stormlight 
uh, who is referred to by name several times, but it's a long time before you actually see him at all. Um, and so there's a very brief blurb about the the info that is known. Um, Beth, this is Thytokar for, con- for context. Um, mm. There's a little bit of info on what's known about Thytokar. And then there's just a big spoiler warning that says the following link contains major spoilers for several books. Be sure you have read everything. And then there's a link to a completely different character's page. <laughs> and we're just not going to touch that for now. <laughs> you click on that character's page and it just says, he was very tall. <laughs> very tall. You click on that page and it's Caden, what? <laughs> <laughs> Alendi is Caden confirmed. <laughs> okay, now I have another thing that I want to ask Brandon about if <laughs> next at the next signing. What's up with Caden? What, what is his deal? Why was he awake? Suspicious much? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's a- attempt to wrench ourselves back on track here. So... Yeah, the the crew finds this hilarious. Uh, Docs says that uh, it, I thought we wouldn't have to deal with uh, any unplanned female attachments now that Kel's gone. And then what Vin does comes that in. Mean he was? Are they talking about Vin because she's the only random girl that we know that Kelsey or showed up with? I'm guessing that he was among... married. <laughs> he was married, but I'm I'm yeah, guessing she was dead. What is it? <laughs> Docs also knew Kel from way back in the day. And I would imagine that uh, even even back then, I'm sure Kel was was the type of person to uh, kind of cultivate a certain image. So I'm I'm guessing he had some fans. Yeah, he had he had he had game, I imagine. (laughs) And then Vin shows up and is just baffled as to what the hell just happened. But that pink thing she passed in the hallway was, it was you from 18 months ago. Did Vin ever wear pink? She wore red. Well, she did she wear red. She wore the red dress. She famously wore and, red. And Breeze points out that the dress was red, so Ariane is Vin from the past confirmed. Oh, confirmed. No. Oh my god. Put a stamp on it. Uh, Breeze also says that apparently they're going to need to hire a new pastry chef. Because Ariane is very particular about her baked goods. Honestly, Ellen could take notes on this kind of confidence. How how does Breeze know that if he infiltrated the war camp? D- did they have pastries at the war camp? I Wouldn't think they have may have. Stale after like a week. I think Ariane may have dragged a pastry chef along. Oh, the chef is with the war camp too. Okay, all right, all right, yeah, that checks out. So uh, Breeze completely fails to deny that there was a relationship there. Uh, Of course not. Well, not really. Nothing real, though it could have been taken the wrong way. Was taken the wrong way, actually. He's just so befumbled by this. It makes me happy. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Though Vin Vin does helpfully point out, in her typical blunt fashion, what I was thinking, which is, that's disgusting, Breeze. You're old. She's young. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she's also continuing to misestimate everyone's age uh, because (laughs) 
Ellen slash the narration said that Orianne looked like she was probably 18. Uh, and Vin says she sounds like she was 12. <laughs> when she first met Ellen, he was 21. <laughs> she is bad at estimating age. It's true. Mm-hmm. The proven track record. It would be funny if she said that. And then Breeze was like, Vin, I'm 22. <laughs> I was I was checking the the copper mind to see uh, if we actually know how old Breeze is, uh, and it is ambiguous, and uh, there are some rough ranges bracketed by is he literally twice her age, like Vin thinks. <laughs> we don't know much about Breeze. No. No. We will learn a vital, vital piece of information about Breeze in a couple of chapters. That we will. That's true. So wrapping up uh, chapter 21 here, uh, Docs does point out that they do effectively now have a hostage, even if she did come over willingly. (laughs) If she volunteered for hostagehood. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Ellen, as uh, as a kingly decision maker has to make the call says she'll stay and they will uh, they will figure out what that buys them when negotiating with set's army all eyes turn toward ellen tindril's doing her job yeah um there's there's also another weird iteration of vin kelsier shipping that i was yeah like, why, why are we do why are we doing this why again are we still doing this and then Ellen goes, hey, this is a dumb conversation and we're going to move on now. And then they do. And Ellen is like, hey, maybe Twindwill is pretty much always right. So that's something I should think about. Um, <laughs> I and I just, I appreciated that. Um, and I appreciate this is another iteration of, it's not, uh, yeah, sorry. Just give me a second to double check. Yeah, this chapter is from Ellen's point of view, and we're getting a lot of his inner thoughts for most of mm-hmm. this chapter. And we don't it doesn't settle on like, oh, he's jealous of Kelsier maybe having Vin's affections at one point, or it's not the opposite of, oh well, Kelsier was a better man to her than I could ever be. It's not that. We don't get any thoughts implying that Ellen legit is just like, this is wasting our time. Like that that's as deep as the thought goes, and I appreciate that that's as deep as the thought goes. Yeah. Um and I also just, I I just love that everyone does pay attention and move on. And Ellen is very, like, rapidly earning respect from both the crew and me. Um, so Tindwell is doing her job. Yeah, I like that the, the <laughs> at the very beginning of this discussion, Breeze brings up, he's like, I remember you pined after Kelsier. And Ellen perks up, but not in a jealous way, just like a, ooh, gossip kind of way. <laughs> and then immediately decides this is useless and shuts it nah. down. <laughs> and yeah, like, I, I already liked Ellen, but every time you see him internalizing and applying Tindwell's lessons, my respect for him grows. Because it takes a certain amount of humility to, like, because she, she really dishes it out and to be like, okay, yep. Yeah, all right, there is wisdom, and I will take these lessons and I will apply them. Hey, it's working. That's good. That that takes a certain amount of of lack of ego, even as you're trying to be more egotistical, I guess. Um, and it's just it's just neat to see such concrete signs of development there. 
yeah it's it's neat to see and it's also it's a weird blend of its humility but it's not he doesn't beat himself up over anything at this point either because tinwell has started to build up that confidence as well in the first couple chapters of the book ellen is like freaking out of like i can't do this i shouldn't be the one doing this um and like i said just in his interactions with tinwell um he's he's able to take the criticism internalize the lesson without letting the harshness of the critique like really get him down and i also just really appreciate that i think that's really cool all right uh heading into chapter 22 uh we seem to be in a, a bit of a section of Alendi facts TM. Uh, we now learn that uh, Alendi apparently had uh, good, uh, I guess, oratory skills and a good memory, uh, was not argumentative. And yeah, we would like to know some more, please. <laughs> Let's... Let me just etch into this metal piece. Uh, just every time we have to emphasize this is into a metal piece that he's describing someone's personality. And and also took the time to say, Alendi had a very good memory, but not as good as mine. Yeah, also mine's great. <laughs> let, let, let me just clarify. Uh, yeah, as as my notes read, Quan, what the fuck, man? What are we doing here? Who is this for? Yeah. Solid question. All right, into uh, chapter 22 proper. Uh, we return to Vin and the Mists at Night, which Mists. is has been a place of comfort for her for some time now. Uh, but there, she's definitely still trying to figure out what to do about issues that she can't fight quite so directly. And we see that... Uh, there actually now is be some progress being made on uh, determining who the imposter is because the plan for tonight uh, is that as Ham is doing his guard rounds, uh, Orser is going to cause a, a distraction, an alarm of some sort. And with the, the kind of unprompted reaction, Vin is able to check with Bronze uh, that ham instinctively reaches for his his pewter to defend himself from whatever happens here so assuming that this is a a viable strategy that is another name scratched off the list there yeah i guess ham is still alive <laughs> damn it also sam i do think we need to hear your description of where this mist was <laughs> okay so my summary of the, the mist, the opening paragraph or so of this chapter, the mist was all up on this kingdom, like all up in there. You wouldn't even believe how much reader. It reminds me of, uh, of, of Douglas Adams trying to explain how big space is. It's mind-bogglingly huge. So yeah, this uh, this plan actually goes fairly smoothly from what Vin was uh, was hoping for. Uh, she does have to kind of talk him down afterwards because she did like stage a small attack of some sort. She doesn't just talk him down. She goes, yeah, it's the dog's fault. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Orser needs some more respect here. Big dogs. Orser will get some Orc. respects in, in a very short order. 
Oh yeah, I am excited to talk about this chapter. Yeah. Oh yes. I forgot this was coming. We do get an interesting bit of information, which is that Ham knows about the imposter, which, if I remember correctly, last time we checked in on the plan, it was, hey, no one else knows about this, and we need to keep it that way. It's Vin, it's Ellen, it's Orosaur, and they're going to be the ones that figure this out. And now all of a sudden, everybody knows there's an imposter around. Ham is working off the clock, making sure that he can track down the imposter. It's like, wait, what's the point of uh, the, now the imposter just knows you're onto them? That is well, a good point, and I think it's one that I missed the first time I read this. It made me wonder if there's if there's a strategic value to letting people know that there is an imposter. Like, maybe that they'll keep their words more secret and That's not talk about how they're going to double-cross Straff. That's the other <laughs> out, thing, out is, like, you know there's an imposter, and you know there's a very good chance it's someone on this inner council. So can you stop talking about how important it is no one finds out about this double-crossing you're doing? I, I feel like it is... It is blatant that that the spy has reported back now that that's happening. So it's either really dumb or there's some already Kelsier level shenanigans of hiding from the reader the fact that they are intentionally leaking their plans. Um, if that ends up happening, like, holy shit, that's that's awesome. But I feel like that can't be happening. I feel like we've seen Ellen's inner thoughts being like, I can't let anyone know from Set or Straff's camp that this is happening. And the fact that they know there's an imposter and they're just going forward with all these conversations anyways just feels so wild to me. Yeah, they perhaps need to learn some some security practices. It also makes Vin's whole, like, scare ham into burning pewter con seem a little dumb. If he already knows there's an imposter, it feels like you could be a lot more blatant of just, like, Hey, let's spar, yeah. or hey, I, could you yeah. burn pewter for me right quick? Yeah. Or even after you scared him, be like, hey, the reason I did this is so I know you're not the imposter. I'm glad I can trust you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, nah, it was my dog's fault. Sorry, man. No, she has to keep her strategy hidden, but everyone still knows there is an imposter. I, I, I truly... There's a lot happening here, and I don't understand what the thought process is. We'll have to see what we can come back to about that. Uh, there's another uh, point of discussion between Ham and Vin before we get to some interesting Chandra stuff. Uh, Vin is still has it in the back of her mind that uh, she doesn't have any more ATM, and that is dangerous. Uh, and Ham, as the uh the other kind of combat expert uh, she's looking for some advice there uh one of his pieces of advice uh, as sam puts it uh is make dying their only future which huh. yes i i guess that works yeah that works <laughs> strategy one of two mm-hmm. i also love yeah, like the two strategies are are guarantee death by surrounding him no matter what, or surprise him. And then the next page is like, that's it. We talk about this topic mm-hmm. a lot. 
It doesn't sound like there's a lot to talk about, honestly. It seems like it's <laughs> the, you, you had the two-minute conversation and you, you kind of, you're, you're settled. You, you got it done. I don't know how much more talking there is to do about it. You shrug and you say, I, I don't know, leave it here. Good Again, luck. the same place. You actually have, you, you do have three options, Vin. You can surprise him, you can surround him, or you can just not try to kill him. <laughs> or you can run. Or you can die. So many choices. <laughs> the world's really your oyster here, girl. Have fun. So many options. All right. Continuing on from there, uh, as they they part, and <laughs> I want to know what this says. Oh no! Yes. <laughs> I'm very glad that I opened this message from Sam that just says Merlin alert. With two big sirens. Alert. It's uh, here again. I think this should be a new Twitter banner. <laughs> I'd be a good banner. It's certainly going on the Instagram when this episode comes out. I'll tell you that much. Ugh. Okay. Merlin's. Not not even just a Merlin, but also a Merlin Gap, which I believe is just a Krennel. <laughs> it's a Krennel. <laughs> Hang on. Let me, let me snip Brandon? my notes again. Well, that's uh, you, you see, you've all seen the post. Which which will win, the Merlin or the Krennel, the one you mentioned more? Well, if you just stop referring to it as a Krennel and you just call it a Merlin gap, then you're giving more, you're feeding into the Merlin. So clearly, Brandon has picked a side here. <laughs> this, Must this be feud. Okay, now that we've established our legally distinct medieval fortifications, uh, <laughs> it's it's time for, uh, like we mentioned, some really interesting talk about the chondra in general and about orsur in particular it's it's not often like it's been very a very slow process of of seeing vin and orsur actually like know things about each other and i really like what they they the things that they get to talk about here the conversation does start with orsur being like hey so what was that about which is deeply funny because that means before this started, Vin just said, hey, hide in that corner and scare him. And yeah. Orser was like, sure, man. Yeah, I'll do that. Right. We're going to um, prank him. And not until after does Orser even think to be like, hey, so what the fuck was happening there? So, yeah, the first thing that uh, that they talk about once Orser apparently actually has the plan explained to him uh, is Vin realizes that she is dealing with a, a Chandra who has been very, very specific in what they say and don't say. Uh, and so Vin did confirm that uh, a Chandra who is imitating an Alamancer does not gain their Alamantic powers, but she realizes she didn't check if Chandra can have Alamantic powers of their own. Uh, and so asks about that. And Orser at first gives his uh, his deflection of, I don't have to answer that. Uh, and then he actually does. And he says, yes, this plan will work. Uh, a Chandra, somebody who is is burning an Alamantic battle cannot be a Chandra. That's, it's interesting. He doesn't quite say that. He says, if you sense Alamancy from someone, Fair. they aren't a Chandra. And... Part of me wonders if that will end up being some kind of loophole. I, it's, it's just a curious way to answer the question. 
Um, but it is still nevertheless a nice moment of Oros or willingly giving away information instead of being ordered to or being super combative about it. Um, it is it is a very nice introduction into the rest of the conversation they have of, hey, maybe there are some barriers that are starting to be broken down here. There's a pretty rough way that it starts uh, with Orser just outright asking, why do you hate me? Which is a blunt question, but I mean, we've talked about the relationship between these two before. It seems like it's a question that did need to be asked. Yeah. yeah. And it, I, I think it's really interesting that Vin says, I haven't gotten over the fact that you ate Kelsier's body. Uh, and he comes back with, you're smarter than that. That shouldn't bother you. There's something else. And then this we find out what that is. so good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that, that Vin says is it was because Orser knew what was going to happen. For the plan to work, Kelsier had to, had, had to plan ahead that he was going to die. And that Orser had to be in on that. And he never... Uh, Orser never told any of the rest of the crew and maybe would have given them the chance to to try to save Kel somehow. Even though in, in Kel's view, that couldn't have been part of the plan and that's why he didn't tell anyone. Uh, but Vin realized that, that Orser knew the whole time. And, and that is what has really driven this wedge between them. That reveal is so good because... Up until now, the, you as the reader also just fully believe that, okay, she's she's being, like, technically irrational, but in a way that I completely understand. Of Like, yeah, she's creeped out that the that he ate Kelsier's bones. Um, and the reveal that, like, she's kind of been compartmentalizing the actual reason she's upset, and she's finally able to admit it, not just to Orosaur, but in a weird way to herself. Because we've seen her inner thoughts thinking about that thing ate Kelsier. I can't believe he did that. Um, and so the fact that we're we're seeing her actually admit that out loud of an actually very complex and deep reason for really holding something against Orsur that just, you know, it just feeds into everything looking back on their interactions before this of like, oh yeah, that's that. I 100% I understand um, why Vin would feel this way but also wouldn't want to think about it that much. And so she kind of deflects to the eating the bones thing. Um, it's very good. Yeah. This is a great like duet scene where they're both kind of talking about themselves, but also the other and seeing yeah, how they're no, not that's exactly so different. It it's great. In the Mistborn musical, this is, they each have a verse that have different melodies, but then at the end of the song, we they have a sing counterpoint both duet. at the same time, and it turns out <laughs> that it's actually a counterpoint that perfectly harmonizes with each other. I was just picturing, like, can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> I was not picturing that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, obviously the confrontation no. in Les Mis. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good song. The two it's genders. A great song. <laughs> what, Valjean and Javert? No, uh, can you feel the love tonight or the confrontation from Les Mis? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it, it's it's all so good. Because um, Vin sort of points out in her inner thoughts, like, you really want to know? Fine. And then it all sort of spills out from there. Um, 
letting all that bitterness and hurt really just fly uh, until she is kind of stopped in her tracks when she's trying to get at like, well, Kelsier wasn't like your other masters. You should have broken your contract to help him. And he just comes back with another, I will believe as commanded. And and she she literally opens her mouth and just shuts it and realizes what a dick she's been to him. <laughs> yeah. And he's still mad that he's a dog. Come on. <laughs> what? Get over yeah, it. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> Get over it. Just because I made you eat a dog that was probably still alive. The, yeah, the living corpse, as we've established. The unconscious dog. Yeah, that's that's still weird. <laughs> and I appreciate that we have this moment of, of like, it's progress. But I really, I, I love it whenever fiction does this, of two characters kind of have a heart-to-heart. And they are they're more honest with each other. And they maybe apologize for things they've done. And... The problem is not immediately solved. It's just the problem is on its way to being solved because mm-hmm. we get Orisur being like, I, I don't, I still don't really want to tell you a lot of personal information about me. And like, yeah, that's fair. It's been a year yeah. of her being a dick to you and a two minute conversation is not going to make all those feelings go away. Um, I think there's a maturity in having this still be a gradual process, even though in this moment, Vin is making a lot of progress and and uh, making up for some of the things she's, some of the ways she's treated Orisur. Um I think Orisur is absolutely in his rights to not immediately go, ah, all's forgiven. That's fine. It, that, that that's yeah, that's cool. And and even that, it, it that little moment of eh, no, we're still not vibing with each other leads to another breakthrough of Vin sort of putting together the pieces of how their treatment at the hands of their respective crew leaders and masters has been more similar in its general Mm -hmm. awfulness than either of them realized. Yeah. Yeah, she is speed running her way to S-ranking this friendship. (laughs) It's it's really impressive. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome back to the Well of Essential video game playthrough. Here's the Orser friendship speed run hack. Get all your friendship points in order. And then you just see that you just hear the like frantic button presses uh, of of just rapid <laughs> pace, like speeding tree. through conversation dialogues. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're just reminding me of the American Dad theme song speedruns. <laughs> what? It's an incredibly niche joke that it, I find absolutely hilarious. It's so great. I'm not into speedruns. Have you heard of it? at all beth i'm not familiar no with idea this. what you're talking about so there was like uh maybe a couple of years ago uh there was this joke going around about speed running you know the intro to american dad good morning usa that not off the top thing. of my head no I, I don't well anyway uh the introduction the the joke was like you can speed run it by doing this certain like button press and blah blah, blah and people made videos like pretending to do that and then people made videos compiling those videos into a history of the speed run and then it just kind of snowballed from there they did a full-on like summoning salt retrospective of <laughs> the speed run of the intro to this cartoon <laughs> nice it's so great Whenever I think of speedrunning, I just think about the uh, concept of low percent speedruns, uh, in which <laughs> a legit 
world record speed run of Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess mm-hmm. involves Link standing in place for 11 hours straight. Yep, staring at a rupee. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just love how they set a they put goal and then the percent sign. Mm-hmm. Door percent. Yep. <laughs> uh shoutouts to the uh Twilight Princess category of Jotwad percent which stands for jump off the watchtower and die. Where that is your goal is from the start of the game, you have to jump off the watchtower and die. Which watchtower? Like the... It's in, it's in Kakariko. Oh yeah. The super. Okay. All Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. It, it is from game start, get to the point where you can get on top of the watchtower and jump off of it and die. All right. There's a video showing the speed run it's a it's a post-run commentated video where the entire post-run commentary is in rhyming couplets oh my god yeah let me just open up a google window real quick we can get back to the podcast in just a minute but (laughs) i just need to have this in a window for me to watch later I, i can just link it to you yeah there'll be lots of links dropped afterward (laughs) <laughs> sharing, sharing these lovely videos okay let's get back to this incredibly emotional conversation between these two characters <laughs> yes I think one of the one of the things that hits hardest when these two are are sharing the experiences that they have shared uh, is that both of them have been beaten by their their masters and then Orser mentions, at least your masters were trying not to kill you because Chandra basically can't be killed by a lot of normal physical things. So they they would be fine with just beating him to death and then just giving him a new set of bones and saying, okay, do the next thing for me now. And that's really fucked up. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty fucked. That's yeah. pretty bad, man. It's bad. Yeah, there's a fine line to walk here. Uh, in that, Orser's end goal seems to be to get Kondra to be kind of, at least like cohabitate the universe with humans, whereas humans don't seem to cotton to that idea. Um, maybe we'll find out what a like. We already know, you know, um, mist wraiths, right? That's mm-hmm. like, they're juveniles, but do adult chandra just look like that or do they have to eat a body to have like a form or what i mean these are open questions i think still but yeah uh in order for chandra to live in human society as is right now there would need to be a complete rewriting of funerary rites yeah in human society <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things that would need to change. When I die, give my bones to the Chandra. And then he'll be me. I guess. We get a we get a lot of lore, but not a lot of details about the lore. Because mm-hmm. it's it's established that the contract is something that's just agreed upon by all Chandras, which in yep. of itself is a, a it's crazy. And I think that just says a lot about how Chandra operate um that they're all going to do this and apparently from what we can tell 
there has not really been a point where one has really broken from the contract and Orosur at the very least, he's the one we have most exposure to, obviously. Um, yeah, has gone through some really terrible abusive things and is still willing to just adhere to the contract because that's just what Chondras do. Um, and the idea of a culture so willing to adhere to something that is really not beneficial for them in almost any way, aside from the fact that if the contract weren't there, maybe we'd just all die no matter what. Um, and it's, it's very sad and upsetting, but it's also just so fascinating to imagine just how this all went down. And we get details that Mistborn, like back in the day, tried to hunt them down um without much explanation as to why of aside from they're creepy and we're scared of them which is often enough reason for humans to react in such a way uh yep. unfortunately um and then we also get details of uh i have to wait another decade before i have time for freedom and then only two year two years during which time i won't be able to leave the Condra homeland to do otherwise risk exposure and that's just like a whole thing of okay there's a lot to process there i didn't know there was a contra homeland yeah hang on can we go back to that yeah the homeland thing <laughs> yeah that just that just happens and then they mm -hmm. move on yeah let's uh let's chalk that up on the on the board somewhere and see if we can attach any strings to it later or at the very least just point wildly at it and be like vin please yeah. vin look sure. vin put a string on it i do i, I do like the fact that after learning all of this, uh, Vin offers to release him from the contract. Uh, and he says that won't help. Like that, that's when we learn these, these facts that we don't actually know that much about. Uh, but, but he says like, that is a thing that you could do, but it would not fix the problem that you're thinking of. Right. And back to what you were saying earlier, Caleb, He's also still not pleased about the dog's bones. So mm -hmm. even after, like, several breakthroughs in a row, he's still like, it still doesn't fix things, man. Mm-hmm. I'm still a dog. This is the part where the speed run starts hitting some snags, and Ben is like, <laughs> can I talk about the homeland over and over? And Orser's just like, can I wait for a bit? I'm in the middle of some calibrations. You are playing to the judge here. <laughs> So yeah, as as their conversation winds down here, uh, Vin says that she does want to show that there are there are good people, uh, and Orser asks if she includes herself, and and she says she's just here to kill things, which I think when she makes it is just kind of a a flippant slash self deprecating comment. Uh, but then she realizes what she actually said and thinks on that for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it harkens back to towards the end of Final Empire when she's like, all right, well, we have our bureaucrat and our soldier and our politician. And what we need, uh, all we need left from that is an assassin. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a sad takeaway for her to be like, yes, that is what I do. That is who I am. That is why I am useful um it's it's a very kind of troubling conclusion to draw and i appreciate that she seems to be realizing maybe it's kind of messed up for a teenager to be thinking bad about themselves <laughs> but she's still tempted she's still just 
oh, part of her wants to just go out, slaughter the kings and generals, and call it a day. Yeah. But then we get one of the most... A, a line that shows one of the biggest developments Vin has made of her saying, no, I don't have to be like Kelsier. Kelsier was not perfect, and his way of doing things was not perfect. I can be better than Kelsier. Um, which is one of the first times I think she has really had that concrete thought. Um, and I just really love that as well. Yeah, I think um, it is It is not a spoiler to say that this is not the first time that per, perhaps looking into that will be something that happens of Kelsier wasn't perfect and they will need to do better. Uh, and but having that come from Vin is a pretty major development. Yeah. So Vin is uh, is keeping her watch uh, with both her her senses and her allomancy, uh, and she can feel some sort of strange, vague allomantic pulse that is entirely interrupted by somebody showing up. Yay! Sneaking up on her at night, and it's a friend. Yeah, it uh it's it's goes very rapidly from this kind of like what can she sense to this this edge of danger to says it is back and that I think is undeniably a good thing here. They do really set up the paranoia of who could it be and I just feel like it would be a very different and very interesting book if out of paranoia and safety, Vin just murdered Cezid. Just tries to stab sight. the guy. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that would change some things. I feel like Brandon is taunting me in the slow realization that this is, in fact, Cezid by saying she followed the man studying him. He was tall and in robes. In fact, those robes. What kind of robes, Brandon? What pattern is on the robes? Was Why do you deny me the full of, description? Some sort of geometric shape, perhaps. Ooh, Akin to a, like letter. a letter. <clears throat> yeah, I thought it was a really amazing twist when it was like, yeah, he was tall, very tall, and in robes. In fact, Vin stopped short. A lendy? she asked with shock. <laughs> now that would be a twist. <laughs> I know what you look like. Confirmed. <laughs> yeah, we should. Okay, we need an official list of all the characters who are Elendi. Confirmed. <laughs> Cezid, Gingerbread, Vin, and Elend so far. And Caden. And Caden. That's right. It was Brandon's friend. It was a self insert. Well, not a, an insert. Not a self insert. I was going to say, that's a very mild <laughs> self insert to be the palace steward who was awake. <laughs> You know, I don't think Brandon has actually done any characters that are... Ex I mean, he has acknowledged that Ellen and his fondness for books are a reflection of himself. But none of none of his characters that are, like, just cameos of friends, none of them are him. And I feel like that's a missing opportunity. Uh, before we end the chapter, I do just want to go back. There is one line that was, uh, she was not a person meant to be besieged. And I just really like that line. I think it's a good line. It's good. Yeah. So Cezid has returned, which is uh, a good thing. He is bringing... Somehow Cezid returned. <laughs> uh, he is bringing problems and troubles, which we could deal with one of the two, but both is uh, yeah, is out both. of the question. Whew. Well, he only talks about one. 
we'll get there. But there's a second one that he that's doesn't actually, mention. That's true, actually, yeah. Yep. Uh, once again, the uh, the briefest of, of tangents to uh, Alendi thoughts with Quan. Uh, the terrorists rejected him, but he came to lead them. I can read the entirety of the epigraph because that's all it says. We, we know this. We know this, Quan. Please, yeah, I'm that. begging you. Uh, but yeah, we go into chapter 23 with Sazed talking about, do you think this is the problem or the trouble? Uh, this is, this might be the trouble. Because the other it. one, like, you know, we don't know if, we don't know if Jastis is going to be, you know, a, a, a psycho and burn everything down yet. It's a question mark, you know? I would, I would say anything that's concrete is a problem and anything that's vague is troubles. So I think this is, I think he covers most of the problems and then he brings up one trouble, but there is another trouble that he does not bring up. Yeah. This is the hard hitting analysis that you come to this podcast for. <laughs> oh Yeah. So, yeah, we jump right into uh, Sazed giving his report on, on what he's learned. Uh, at this point, I think the whole gang is pretty much reunited. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they mentioned Ham. He might be still doing rounds somewhere. Uh, but Ellen, Docs, Vin, Breeze. Oh, no, Ham's, Ham is here. Uh, spook here? Uh, yes, Everyone he's sitting here. on a table. He's uh, flirting Stealing with one food, of the... flirting with chicks. Yeah. All right. Quite unsuccessfully, it notes. All right, PCA, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. We also get a detail that Sazed is eating laggots, and I didn't know what that was, and then I looked it up, and it turns out it's a spoiler. It's only on a. It's a copyright page. Cosmere food. <laughs> There's not a lot oh. of Cosmere food description, but I like it. You can't know about Laggots yet. Thytokar is known for eating them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, this is the second food that we've learned of, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> this Bay wraps and whatever this is. I know someone on, at least some, one person online has made a Bay wrap, at least their interpretation of one. Uh, I don't think we've hit that, this one, though. That sounds like a, a good Benji with Babish episode. Wait, yeah. Where did you say the name of the food? I don't. It's somewhere in this chapter. It might not be towards the beginning, but they definitely mention it at some point. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yes, it is, is going over what he has learned about uh, Jastis Lacal and his army of Kolos. Uh, because Jastis is, in fact, not dead and is leading an army. <laughs> that's a reference to something they don't know about and that's fine we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that <laughs> so they start talking through the the implications of this clubs thinks that it's quite possible that with 20,000 kolos uh he could take on either of the two armies that are already there uh, but again we now have this weird standoff where he couldn't fight both of them so now there's there's overlapping standoffs going on here and it is a a very dangerous tense mess and i do love that ham ever the optimist is like yeah it's there's a very good chance that jesse just loses control of all the colossus but they'll probably attack one of the armies 
And then Ellen is like, and they might not. They, yeah. that, that might be bad if that happens. <laughs> yeah, you can you can hope, but uh, may, maybe not. Uh, also, this is uh, towards the, like just above the halfway point on page 269 is where we have steamed barley, strips of steak, and spiced liggets. <gasps> steak! They do have meat! They do. Uh, also, I I did in fact check the Coppermind article on Leggett. It does not say what they are, just that they are eaten in this meal. We have no other information about them. Sazed was awake when he ate them. Yes, he was. <laughs> Barely, but awake. But yeah, Sazed does bring up. Uh, so okay, Caleb, what was your your breakdown of? A, a trouble is something that is is vague. Yes, the the issue with the mists is yes. definitely one of the troubles. This would be a trouble uh, then in that situation. Yeah, uh, because Sazed says it here. He thinks that something has gone wrong when the Lord Ruler died, and that the mists are, in fact, in Sam's words, spooky. Very spooky. Ugh. <laughs> uh. And they're killing people and keeping them in huts and stuff. Uh, but we do learn here that uh, the, it can't enter structures. I mean, it was implied in the whole you know narrative when they were in the when Caesar was in the village. But it is interesting that we have that confirmed through observation, I guess. That yeah, that falls into something that I call. I don't call it this. I haven't established this yet. And I need to come up with another word for it because of Attack on Titan brain. But something that happens in Attack on Titan a lot is that we'll be exposed to new information about the Titans and the characters will theorize, maybe this is what that means. And then they're just always right about that. They just always get it 100% correct when they theorize <laughs> about something. Um, so yeah, it seems like Sazed has has done that himself of, we could kind of think that maybe this is what's happening. And says it's just like, yep, that I, I, I also think that's what's happening. So it's probably what's happening. I shall dub this in a non-confusing manner. Attack on Titan character brain. Perfect. <laughs> no ambiguity whatsoever. No notes. So as they, uh, as they talk about this, Ham and Breeze start doing their thing. Uh, which I'm guessing has been missing in the, the time that, that Breeze was, uh, with the the set forces and uh as we uh as sam has has pointed out to us we we actually did hear this before it is mentioned i think once in final empire that Um, it did sound familiar yeah oh yeah yeah it did ring a bell but this is um this is where vin learns it right yeah that breeze's last name is ladrian either that or vin forgot like sam and i did (laughs) But I just, I had to take notes on it. I said, Breeze's last name is Ladrian. Then I hit enter, tab, great. And mm-hmm. then I moved on with my day. Onwards. <laughs> like, okay, great. And? We don't, we don't know many last names slash first names. We don't know a lot of both for people. So that was actually, that was something I can't remember if we talked about this during Final Empire. Because it's revealed in one of the annotations for Final Empire. Uh, and I don't think it's ever revealed in book, at least not in. Can I in... guess? Can Can I guess what it is? Sure. It, from what I can tell, it seems like 
nobles have first and last names and ska do not that is correct uh god bless and the fact that uh breeze is noble uh he's right. yeah he's he's not a um an illegitimate uh he's not a half breed um he is he is a nobleman who fled that society and has been working with the the ska underground and does not like his last name because it reminds him of that. So it is great. It is, in Pretty fact, <laughs> a, a bit of characterization. It is. It's just placed very strangely. Like, we're talking about big things here. Which Ellen Lampshades is like, are we going off on more tangents than usual right now? Yeah, that's like, yeah. can we just... I, I don't want to mangle books, but I want to take that sentence and cut it out and pin it to everything that we do on this podcast. <laughs> Every podcast episode. Like it, it would be one thing if like his last name was like Lamphunius or something ridiculous, and then was like, "That's your name," but it's Lager. Like that's that's a pretty normal sounding fantasy name. It's not that weird. So we do learn that Sazed is going to be uh, staying in Luthadel because this is perhaps more important than what he was previously working on. Uh, and then we are joined by, once again, Aurian Set, who just kind of walks in here, says, the other girl is here, why didn't you invite me? Which is not the best way to get yourself involved here. Wow. Just great hey that girl that's your girlfriend that everybody knows that that's an established person is here what about me the person that all of you except for one have basically just met and are are reluctant to accept in the first place oh ran what is your deal what (laughs) is your deal yeah her name does start with an a so if we're asking what her deal is is it possible she is a lindy (gasps) <gasps> it starts with A-L yeah it's A-L oh it's so close there's an E in it too and an N and an I and an I oh my it's all, all, all the there except for the fit. E <laughs> okay yeah I'm officially adding a column to the spreadsheet of Alendi confirmed <laughs> let's see we started with Vin uh, and then Elend uh, and then Sazed no, then Caden. Uh, and then, yeah, Caden. Caden. And that's the thing, is you're supposed to forget about him, but actually, that's who it really is. Oh. Justin, and how could Aurian. you spell Caden wrong? He was such a significant character. Is it? Oh. Okay, <laughs> it is. It is on. Okay. The spelling of Caden actually ties into my casting, if you can imagine. <laughs> I could not imagine, <laughs> and now I really want to know. We'll have to get to that. Yeah. Okay. Um... Vin, of course, doesn't trust Ariane. Uh, but it turns out this time she might actually be right because they they point out uh, that Vin thinks that Ariane was trying to look like she just woke up and just wandered down, uh, but actually has been up for, for some time. And Ellen noticed that too. Ellen noticed that, and then Vin sounds impressed. And I just love Vin's growing like realization of Ellen is becoming 
competent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has similar energy to when Vin was taking notes and Ellen was so pleased. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> to see her learning like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if it's because we've now been introduced to Zane as the bad boy who is just so much worse in every regard. Um, <laughs> but not only is Ellen growing on me, I, I'm really starting to care about the relationship a lot more too. I'm pumping my fist in victory. <laughs> it's all because of Tindwill. We have, it all comes back to Tindwill. I, listen, I'll take what I can get, man. It's all because of Tindwill and Zane for wildly No, no I will not reasons. abide by that statement. <laughs> I can't allow that to pass. They cannot be mentioned in the same sentence. I cannot dishonor her so. How dare you besmirch her name? <laughs> How dare you stand where she stood? <laughs> we didn't actually have any uh, Zane in this section. I know, I remember, because there's an actual bit I have related to Zane that I didn't get to last episode, and I can't do it this episode because Zane's completely irrelevant this time. Yeah. <laughs> there is no Shadow the Hedgehog in this section. <laughs> so, so prepare for a bit next time, loyal You know I always am. List, listeners. <laughs> and make it double. A, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to get us through. We've got like three pages left. Sam and Caleb blasting off again! <laughs> was that a Pokemon reference that came through without my audio getting cut off? Yeah, yes. It did yes, go it through. Yay! All right. Uh, we have now uh, a scene between Sazed and Tindwell, who are our two... Uh, terrace representatives that we've seen uh, and they apparently have uh, a decent amount of history knowing each other and yeah this is i like this scene too it has tindwill in it so i also like this scene caleb is a tindwill stan i sure am in case it wasn't clear <laughs> um I, I absolutely love the line. Like, it, it's a whole kind of interrogation of, of Tindwell basically being like, what are you doing at this point? Because this isn't what terrorist people are supposed to be. This isn't who you supposed to, who you used to be. Um, I love the exchange. Good men can make terrible kings, but bad men cannot make good kings. It's better to start with a good man and work on the rest, I think. I, I love that exchange. Yeah, that's a good one. just thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, Tindwell... That, you know, Cezad, you have a duty to teach Ska about farming techniques in government. Were they not farmers? Was that not, like, what they did? I think they were mostly just, like, bodies to to do, like, to do the work that needed to be done. I don't think they were ever, yeah. um, you know, planning what to plant and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they do, uh, it's... It's possible that, that, you know, it's just like the people who detassel in a cornfield. They don't know how to plant the corn. I get that. But I don't know. No, you know what? You know what? I'm with Tindwell. I'm with her. Go go teach those scabot farming techniques while the world dies. <laughs> <laughs> 
that is wild missed. because I was I was about to say this is our first time seeing Tindwell be wrong. I I very much side with Sezed's thing of like no, I think this really obviously like we're reading a book and right. we know that the mysterious mist stuff is going to end <laughs> up being important. But like even without that, if this was the first time Sezed showed up and he's like I think this might be happening and the reader had no other context for it, I still would be like, yeah, I do kind of trust Sezed based on everything he accomplished in Final Empire. When he has a hunch about something, I kind of do want to trust him on it. And Tindwell is not very happy about that. I mean, Sezid does say right out, uh, kindly remember the last time I disobeyed the Synod, the result was the collapse of the final empire and the freedom of our people, which is a pretty big mic drop. That's yeah. a, that, that, good for him. I love that, but I also love the immediate thing of like, apparently he pulls this card a lot. <laughs> <laughs> none of the keepers did like it, it's just implying that like this this comes up in conversation a lot and they're like yeah we know we know you did one cool thing and yeah it was really really cool but can you please just stick to the program please yeah <laughs> but yeah good for him for not i i i i, I am also a say that's dad and then as the uh the copper mine summary of this chapter puts it they share a personal moment and Tindwell departs as our chapter ends. Accurate. And that is also the end of the section that we had. Yay. <laughs> there, episode done. And Goodbye, scene. everyone. See you next okay. week. <laughs> Close the door. Not a ton. It didn't feel like a ton of uh, like plot developments, but who is there some good character meat on that? For boat? sure. Oh yeah, from the plot summary perspective, Alrian appeared and Sezed returned, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that's about it. A lot of, and a and lot Jastis really, and the really Coloss made it to Luthadel. Ham is not the traitor. We think. Mm, oh boy. <laughs> Breeze is not the traitor. We think. We think. Someone else flared in. pewter. <laughs> it does it, it does directly say Vin is Vin focuses and sees that the pewter is coming directly from him. Like it makes sure to establish that. They could oh, have been someone right behind, behind him. him. Exactly. Hiding. It was the ghost. Travis Willingham's a big guy. <laughs> it was a Lendy hiding behind Ham the whole time. <gasps> uh, does, does that mean that Ham is also confirmed to be a Lendy or were they just near each other? Ham's shadow. Is okay. Yes. Ham's shadow. There, it's on the list too. <laughs> All right, let's cast. Yeah, let's do the thing. We did. Uh, we did meet a couple of new characters. I'm eager to hear who uh, Caleb has picked out for for Caden. Uh, but usually we we start with Sam and then we go over to Caleb. So uh, let's start with Sam. Who do you have for us? All right, so uh, Ariane's set for casting. I'm picturing, like, Ellie Fanning. I think she'd be kind of cool for it. Um, all right, all right. Although, uh, you know, she'd have to probably gain weight for the part because I picture Ariane as being a little... D doesn't it mention that she's a little, like... It does ...heavier set? Yeah. Yes. So, I don't know. So that's my my Ariane, and then uh, Caden, 
you know what? Why not? Let's just we're we're picking somebody who sticks out like a sore thumb for no apparent reason. So I'm going with Clint Howard. Let's make him stick out. <laughs> I need the to look at the camera pans over to this guy in the corner, and everyone goes, "Whoa!" <laughs> Clint Howard. That's my Caden. Who is this man? According to Wikipedia, he makes snow globes. Ooh. Ooh. I am not surprised somehow. I'm intrigued, but I'm not surprised that he has a very strange hobby. Hands over to Caden holding a snow globe. Yeah, he has the snow globe. And you know what has to happen for you to make snow globes? You have to be awake. (laughs) (gasps) It's perfect. Uh, He is apparently Ron Howard's younger brother and is in a bunch of movies. Like Ice Cream Man. This is an extensive filmography for someone I've never heard of. Yeah, there are a lot of B movies. Is he? Yeah, I was going to ask: Is he in a bunch of Ron Howard movies, or is it bigger than that? He was in Twilight. Oh, different Twilight. This one is in '98. Never mind. No reason to get excited anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he played Edward in Twilight. <laughs> All right. I believe those were the only two. Yeah. Yeah, every time you say that we met a couple new characters this section, Justin, I look at my casting list and I'm like, oh god, who did I miss? <laughs> See, the secret is that I don't keep track. I just rely on you two <laughs> to tell me who we're going to be casting this time. And if there's only supposed to be one character, Sam and I will fixate on a different character who really probably shouldn't need casting, but we cast for them anyways. <laughs> Works for me. All right, uh, Caleb, let's start with who you had for Caden, because I'm dying to know. (laughs) Okay, so first, first off, important note is we've all been making some assumptions, and Coppermine, it sounds like, has also been making some assumptions. But aside from the word steward, which I think could be construed as gender neutral, we never find out what uh, Caden's gender is, so I actually cast a woman in this role. Okay. Um, And... You know, I looked at the name Caden, and I was like, it's only one letter away from Cayman, who I, of course, casted as Danny DeVito. So I just cast Danny DeVito's daughter, Lucy DeVito, as Caden. It's perfect. <laughs> I have terrible news. What is your terrible news? I want to hear it. One of the palace stewards who stood at the back of the room with other servants, he nodded. Rooms were prepared. Could it not be construed that Ellen nodded? I'm going to go with that assumption just so that this works. Thank you. <laughs> Canon. Confirmed. Caden Cannon. <laughs> All right. I bow to the whims of the majority. <laughs> uh, anyways. <laughs> My history professor, can I just anecdotalize here for a second? Of course you can. I'm not going to stop you. My history professor, who is the chair of the International German Studies Association, so like big, big guy, released a bunch of books. um, He said that there are some things in history that might as well be true because they don't matter and it doesn't like whether it's true or not is completely irrelevant and it was something to do with like napoleon's last meal at elba or something was like this and he was like it doesn't it doesn't matter what he ate 
who cares? But it's funny. It's like there is some. Kind so of, like, we're just gonna go with it. it. We're just so gonna go make with up it. things. Well, no, like you're not gonna make up like you know. Oh, he, you know, <laughs> the Napoleonic War was fought with with B-52s. You know, you can't like do that. But when there's like just these little teeny tiny things, why not have some fun? You know. Life's too short. That, that, rem- <laughs> that reminds me of an Onion article that's just scientists declare that stegosauruses all had really nice singing voices because it's not like that fact will hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, I think my favorite Onion article involving scientists has to be uh, scientists baffled at one man's incredible ability to fuck up every time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of um, scientists hold off on confirming to the general public that goblins exist because they don't think we're ready for that yet. (laughs) Uh, Unrelated to scientists, but easily my favorite Onion headline of all time, which didn't even have an article, it was just this headline, was uh, Jurisprudence Fetishist Gets Off on Technicality. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Caleb, who did you cast for Alrian? <laughs> what? What? Huh? What? Oh, yeah, right. Who? Um, yeah, for Alrian, um, I went with... I. I it's weird because the person I cast does not particularly look like this, but I get Major Charlotte from Princess and the Frog vibes from Alrian. Um, Tiana's kind of a, like southern friend who you think is going to be an asshole, yes. but then at the end turns I out to be pretty chill. I cast her as Lady Cliss last time. Yes, yeah. yes, this has been this has been brought up before. Um, but uh, and it is funny that you mentioned Lady Cliss because we'll be getting into theories in a little bit. Um, spoiler alert: Lady Cliss is Elendi. Um, but uh, <laughs> confirmed. Now you're just putting people in there for meme purposes. <laughs> Unlike our very oh, I'm scientific sorry. methods. Yeah, earlier. sorry that I'm betraying all of the evidence we've been really uh, strongly presenting thus far. Um, yeah, that one was a joke, but the rest are legit. Um, I, I cast Dove Cameron as Alrian. I think she could do the role, have have fun with that role from the performances I've seen from her. She just seems like she, she could have fun with that sort of thing. Um, and in where I think the character might go and what, what, what Alrian's deal might be, I also think Dove Cameron could be good at that. But we'll get into more detail about that when it gets to theories. Hmm. All right. Uh, I think it is time for the theories, though. We've had uh, we've had a few names crossed off of the list of possible Chandra imposters. Maybe I don't know how sure you two are on that. Uh, I don't think we've had a lot of movement on our other kind of ongoing theories. So this this may be a week of uh, addition and and not confirmation or. Uh, proving things false. Sam, do you want to uh, to get us started? Sure. Uh, I had five questions that I came away with. Um, I actually wrote down my questions this time. Uh, I guess two of them are related. Um, are they going to take an Elrian? Is Elrian a spy? Why did Sazed not bring up the conventicle? Here's one that we didn't even cover. But that I think is interesting. What's up with the counterfeit coins going around Luthadel? Oh, yeah? 
that was a, a thing that got mentioned. I, I Very will be briefly, honest, I don't remember that. There, there's a point <laughs> where I think it's Docs says, hey, the Assembly wants you to do something about this. There's an issue with, with counterfeit coins being spread. And Ellen says, I don't have time to deal with that right now. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. And review over. That's pretty much all they say. But uh, that that's like not a small thing. Um, and just what exactly do they can in Haverfrex? Come on. There's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing. Human flesh. Soylent green. Um, all right. Uh, so the actual predictions here. Um, prediction number one. While y'all dilly-dally, the Inquisitors are well on their way to the well. <laughs> like, the fact that Seiza neglected to mention anything about the conventicle is very problematic and very strange. I wonder if it's because Alran walked in? Like, hmm. that he was going to get to it? Seiza does seem to... Seiza does have a decent mind for the, the kind of espionage and, and secrets from working with Kel for so long. So it does seem plausible that he would catch on to that. Yeah. But um but that's that's an important thing to mention. Okay, the conventicle's empty. Don't know where they went. <laughs> you know, these things that that uh you know Kelsier unloaded everything he had and he was able to kill one. Mm-hmm. Those guys. <laughs> Remember them. Saw Marsh. He's In he's fairness. still about. <laughs> He's st- he's still he's still going through some things, and then also in fairness, Marsh proceeded to kill like ten of them at once. <laughs> he did. He learned the secret. Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, Duralamin Bronze is going to pay off later. Don't know how, but they're going. He's or Vin is going to use it to see something specific about not brass, like something else. You know. Okay. Um. Some other detail about another metal. I want to say probably not an emotional metal. We've I don't know. seen we've seen Duralman and steel, uh, which presumably um, Duralman and iron would be similar. Uh, and we, and now we've seen um, bronze. I believe those are the only ones that we've seen. Right, and we'll we'll definitely keep seeing like the combinations of Duralumin and other things. But what I'm saying is, I think that the combination specifically of Duralumin and bronze is going to pay off later. Okay, like that those two in tandem are going to be used to sense mm. someone doing something okay. at some point. To sense something other than the use of an emotional metal. Okay, right. Yep. Um. So that. Um, I think that in their little meeting, their their powwow that is totally not a parlay, uh, Straff is going to at least partially see through Ellen's ruse. Yeah, Ellen's got the poker face of a... I I don't know. He's got a terrible poker face. Mm -hmm. The comparison brain failed there. Um, but I think that the better goal or a smarter way that they could have gone about this and like talked to him about it, the better goal might have been to do a double bluff. Like 
get Straff to think that he sees through Ellen's ruse. And the thing that he sees is not what's the what the truth is. You know what I mean? Right. Because Straff is Straff wants to assume that he has won the interaction. Right. Um so instead of like uh you know just facade of hey I you know I want to give up the city to you let's be friends do the facade of like well you know I don't know I'm not a writer Brandon's the writer Brandon Brandon, um, Brandon. yeah I uh, to jump in just a little bit I, I agree that it probably makes more sense to do a double ruse but I just have no idea what the ruse would be um and I'm still just I'm still baffled by the fact that they know there's an imposter we know because of Zane that the imposter is is reporting back to the Venture Squad, but even without Ellen's knowing that, there's really one of two options as to who the imposter is working for. It's either Set or Straff. Um, and yeah, I just feel like you can't go into this parlay at this point without assuming that Straff already knows the double-crossing plan. And I'm just so curious if Ellen will realize that, I hope he does. I hope someone realizes that, because it sure seems like no one has so far. Um, or at the very least, there is something else up his sleeve. Um, but I, I also, I am a writer, but I still have no idea what the solution to that would be. Brandon. Brandon. Um, speaking of imposters, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with uh, Docs. I'm putting okay. my chips on Docs. All right. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think it's. I don't know. I'll just be watching him. I'm. I'm on to you, Docs. I'm watching. <laughs> I thought that the Your Majesty was a tell, but it turns out he's just always called him Your Majesty. So. <laughs> Never mind on that. They're not very close. They're not friends. Um. Yeah. Uh, I think that Alrian is a spy, and I think she's pulling a classic Cliss. Classic Cliss. Okay. A classic Cliss. Classic Cliss. Classic Cliss Gambit. Um. All right. Uh, and then I think that the 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 counterfeit coin scandal that we glossed over. Counterfeit coins are much more dangerous than you might give them credit for. Um, it, it seems to me that Brandon like rarely mentions things just on a throwaway basis, especially not like, you know, d- docs can, can worry about the details a lot, but you know, counterfeit currency can literally destroy an economy. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got, if you've got too much going around, you turn into Zimbabwe. It's not, not a good thing. So Either that, either it'll be a big factor, or I'm a huge nerd and I'm getting hung up on details. I don't know. <laughs> either of which other. very possible. Um, and then the my probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Um, here's the thing: it probably won't happen, but should. Uh, Vin isn't gonna fall for Zane's bullshit, but she probably will because otherwise, why even mention it? <laughs> which, what should happen is 
Uh, Zane will realize Vin isn't caving to his technique of vaguely planting seeds of doubt, and he'll go for a more direct approach. But what probably will happen um, is that Vin will somehow get duped into mistrusting her friends by this sociopath, and in a crucial juncture, will hesitate just enough to get someone killed. Hmm. That's 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 what I'm thinking. I don't know who's going to die. I feel like probably not Ellen. <laughs> that's all I can narrow it down to. Maybe <laughs> Ham. It'll be Ham. Could be we'll ham. finally get there, Caleb. Could be Ham. <laughs> all right. Anyway, those are my predictions. Okay. I like the, the variety here of we've got a couple on the the politics issue, a couple on like big allomancy questions. So, okay. We will see what we can see about those. I had time to stew on this. So I stewed (laughs) a little bit. All right. Uh, Caleb, what do you have for us? Um, I've got a couple of theories, uh, but I also have just an observation that I just now made. Um, which is that we're like a solid third of the way through the book and the well of the literal will of ascension has seemed almost completely irrelevant so far. Zero mention. Uh, Maybe (laughs) one mention. Maybe one mention. And the back of the book kind of implies already that like, yeah, they're definitely going to have to go to the well of ascension. Like it's just, it's, it's weird to me that we're this far into the book and it still has not really become relevant yet. I'm hoping maybe this turns into a theory. This is my transition into my theories. Um, that Sezed will be able to read his rubbing pretty quickly and actually be able to find the important thing. I can only assume there's only one actually important thing that Quan is writing down because the rest of it is just complete bullshit. <laughs> but um, he will he will be able to because there's no translation happening. I don't think. Yeah, it did um, seem like it was in a language he could read, right? Like right off the bat, as opposed to translate. I then... believe so. Yeah, I think he was yeah. he was reading it when we were there and then marsh right. came in and said we have to go now and so he he took the rubbing so that he could have the whole thing more quickly than actually transcribing it yeah, yeah. so hopefully hopefully says reads that and is able to introduce the actual main plot that has not arrived yet <laughs> um because yeah we're getting a decent ways into this book with the well of ascension not actually being seeming to be important um but uh, anyways, uh, the rest of these theories I will talk about in the order I wrote them down because some of them transform over time. Okay. Because um, when Alrian first shows up, I my first thing I said was, this is absolutely a trap. These guys have not learned from Lady Cliss, but I have learned so much from <laughs> Lady Cliss. Um, she has to be a spy. There's really no reason why Ashweather Set would bring his daughter to a war camp aside from, hey, here's a trap um that that we can we can kind of see if we can work our way in and get a spy on the inside by having this innocent debutante um get behind enemy lines um so that was my first reaction um ellen has a really nice line about when he decides alron is going to stay with us part of being a king is accepting the consequences so i i am predicting that there will be consequences for letting alron stay um, I'll be a little bit more specific as my theories develop. Um, but, uh, next up, 
don't really have a specific theory, but it's interesting that Oraserv does mention that people, humans discovered and started hunting mist wraiths at the beginning of the final empire showing up, which kind of supports my long-term theory of whatever happened at the Well of Ascension the first time is what allowed Allomancy to take hold in the world, because we also know, even though we don't know the details, we know Mistborn are able to track and kill mist wraiths uh, pretty efficiently, it seems like. So if the Conjurer didn't feel any threat from humans before the Final Empire started, it would make sense that that's when Mistborn actually started popping up and causing problems for the Chandra. Um, mm -hmm. So that's my theory there. I'm curious how Mistwraiths are related to the spooky creeper shadows that Vin has been seeing. Um, again, I think their appearance is tied to the Well of Ascension as well, and the Lord Ruler having the powers of the Well of Ascension and then dying allows them to come back and be more dangerous. But I'm just, I'm just sort of curious how those things connect. Um, I think last time we mentioned, I, I talked about the drums in the deep that Vin keeps hearing, and she hears them for a second in this chapter, and then says it shows up and distracts her. Um, and my original thing was something along the lines of, yeah, they're directly tied to the mist shadows, but it doesn't make sense because the first time she hears that noise is when they're storming Credit Shaw for the first time, when the Lord Ruler was still definitely alive. Um, so I'm just, I'm still so curious what that is, what it entails, what it's tied to. I feel like it's tied to the Well of Ascension in some way, but it's weird that she's, she seems to be hearing it more often. I think she's heard it twice in this book so far, but the first time she heard it was in Final Empire. And it's, I'm just, I'm just so curious. I don't have many, um, concrete theories, but I'm so curious. Um, and then returning to a theory that developed over time. Now Alrian is too suspicious by the end of this section. Okay. And because <laughs> it's way too soon for Vin and Ellen to both look at each other and agree, hey, she was definitely eavesdropping on us. She definitely knows more than she's letting on. It's, it's, it's just way too soon in the story for them to be drawing that conclusion when Alrian just showed up for the first time. Um, so now what I think is going to happen is... So, so we've got Zane, and Zane's bad. And I don't like him. Um, but it seems like Brandon is setting him up to be a romantic rival for Ellen. And because parallels are are good literary devices, I think Alrion is going to pivot away from Breeze and start kind of trying to get up in Ellen's business a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, we actually, we see a little bit of that uh, at the end of her very first scene. Ellen is like, yeah, you can stay. And she runs up and hugs him, which is like a weird... No matter how ditzy you are, that's a weird thing to do to a king you just met. Um, <laughs> Certainly forward. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm thinking she's going to start turning the flirtation game around there. But Ellen already suspects him. So what I think is going to happen is Alrion is going to kind of keep up the act for a little bit. And then when she realizes Ellen suspects her, she's going to drop part of the act and be like okay, yeah, I'm actually this, I'm, I'm acting, this is kind of a performance, I am, I am a lot smarter than I look, uh, I'm sorry I deceived you, but I really am on your side. Um, and I think she will have to kind of let some of that facade down in order to regain Ellen's trust. But then the, tw the double twist is that, no, she still is definitely a spy, she's just going to find a way to convince Ellen that she's not by 
partially revealing the fact that she is more clever mm-hmm. than she's letting on. Um, so that's my theory there. Um, my my hope and dream is that neither Ellen nor Vin falls for the actual flirtation aspect happening here. I think both of them will start to buy into the bullshit of Zane and Alrion respectively. But I, I, I hope from a romantic angle that does not make all that much progress because I feel like that's kind of where it's headed and I don't really like it. Um, so uh, that's my thoughts on that. I am predicting either either Vin and Zane or Ellen and Elrion will share, uh, between those two pairs, one kiss will be shared. Um, and then at that point whoever it is will realize, hey, this is bad. Um, and that's as far as it'll go. And then Ellen and Vin will be happy again together. Um, and uh, last little theory is they do mention from Sezed, uh I think it's Ellen thinking about what Sezed has mentioned, um, that the mists seem to be almost circling around Luthadel. Um, so my, my theory is that... Um, Eventually, the mists will arrive, and they will be outside the walls of Luthadel, and the mists will destroy at least one of the armies um, by just coming out all in full force with all these mist creeper shadow things, uh, just killing a ton of people. Um, my guess would be Set's army, just because I feel like he's still the kind of least plot relevant one. We don't, aside from Alrian, we really don't know much about what Set's deal is. Um, <laughs> And I think that also sets up a really interesting thing of now you have like Jastes and Straff being like, oh God, please let us in the city. We're about to die out here. Um, I think that could be a really interesting dynamic. Um, So yeah, just kind of, I think some aspect of that will happen and I am excited for how that affects the story. Um, But aside from that, that's pretty much all I got for this section. All right. I I like. Actually, can I add on? Can I add on one last thing? Absolutely. So, if we are assuming that Vin and some other folks will head to the Well of Ascension, my guess is she will head off. The mists will arrive right at the you know climactic, big, important moment, and right as it seems like the mists are about to break through and kill her friends. That's the moment that she gets her Well of Ascension powers or whatever and uh, subdues the mists once more. Um, and it's just a very convenient dramatic timing on that part. That's my prediction on that on that realm. That would be quite dramatic. It's a lot like in Days of Future Past. It doesn't make any sense for this to happen this way, but it flashes back to the past of things happening and then it flashes to the future and will the future be safe in time for when, but can the, can the past people rescue the past in time for the future too? That's not how time travel works. It's just either it works or it doesn't. And then the future stops happening that way. Um, but that's still a good movie. So I'm not going to complain that much. Um, I was going to say, but days of future past is real good. So no, it's we'll real good. It's, it's yeah, no, it's, it doesn't make any sense, but it's still a very good movie. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Those are my thoughts. I'm done now. Promise. Until next time. Until next time. (laughs) All right. Um, yeah. One thing that I was, I was thinking of, uh, I think the thing that you were thinking of with the, the way that the mists were acting, 
uh, is when when Sazed was describing what he thought was going on, Vin adds something about what she can see from above. Um, mm. Like when she's when she's um, flying around the city, um, she mentioned something about how the mists do they seem to like flow in currents. Mm-hmm. So I think that is probably what you were thinking of there. Uh, there is, I'm pretty sure Ellen does have a thought to himself that specifically talks about. Yeah, uh, bottom of 272. Um, he said that the incidents involving the mist were moving inward toward the center of the empire, toward us. Mm-hmm. But now I'm done theorizing. <laughs> I work in a theater and I was standing backstage staring at one of our fog machines the other day and I was like, Oh shit, I think that's what the mists would look like. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I was, on an unrelated note, very tired. But <laughs> uh, low fogger, mist head cannon confirmed. Where it's not just like obscured sight, but it's like thick and it's got currents and, mm-hmm. and you can wave it about. What is the effect called it's more of like a um it's more of like a like a an effect for um like concerts or um that sort of thing Hazers? Um, no it's an effect with a laser uh where you have you have a laser shining a laser through laser. you have a laser shining through fog so the fog is only lit up in like one exact plane. And so you can see oh, the yeah. can the swirls of it. Yeah. I don't work. Unfortunately, my particular place of employment is laser free. Not so many lasers in there? Not 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 too many lasers in a Christmas carol. <laughs> I can't imagine a Christmas carol doesn't have lasers in it. What kind of production are you running over there? <laughs> I would pay lots of money to see Marley come busting in, <laughs> surrounded by lasers. Scrooge! I think this means that we should probably wrap the episode up. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. All right. Marley was dead to begin with. Shot dead with a laser rifle, he was. <laughs> Let me reenact it for you. <laughs> all right um, follow us on twitter <laughs> yeah i'm gonna tell everyone what we need to read next uh it's the rest of oh, the part book. two right yeah it's the rest of part two chapters 24 5 6 and 7 uh that wraps up part two ghosts in the mist uh and then our next episode after that we'll start part three. Oh, i like this upcoming chunk of chapters i am yeah. excited I would agree. <laughs> All right. And then, yeah, uh, we need to talk about the places that you can engage with this show. Like right here where you're listening to this show. It- <laughs> Good job. You made it. Yeah. Congrats. Uh, we are on alwaysanotherpodcast.com. You can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, that's the best place if you have things for the future of our 
reads or things that we've we've passed but haven't talked about enough yet because they're spoilers for later that sort of thing or if you just prefer email that too uh, we are also available on instagram at always another pod uh, you can see some uh, some true works of art there uh, <laughs> and also on twitter while twitter still exists at always another pod Take your bets on how long that's going to last. The one, the one thing Elon Musk has not done correctly is oh, uh, the one thing. Yeah, the the, the one, one thing. single thing that he has not done well um, is the fact that he has not lengthened uh, the uh, handle you're allowed to have by one letter, so that we can have the handle <laughs> by we one needed. Single letter. <laughs> Every time I tweet, I feel like one of the violinists on the Titanic. <laughs> that's accurate (laughs) alright anything else before we uh, wrap this show up the lasers shooting into me now are the ones I forged in life yeah okay that's it we're done it's my day off (laughs) it's my day off I cannot be confronted with yet more Carol (laughs) bye everyone bye (laughs) bye (laughs) 